Hello again, everybody, and uh, welcome to the second installment of the Danko Jones official Danko Jones podcast. It started last week, and uh, I hope uh, people enjoyed it, and if they didn't enjoy it, I hope that you at least listened to it. What I'm doing for these first few podcasts, um, at least for now, is I'm reading articles that I've written. I, I don't know how many people know this, but for the past five or six years, I've been writing for various rock and roll or heavy metal magazines in Europe, and it's accumulated, and I've realized that outside each magazine's country, most people don't know, or uh, I, I do this, or they've never even read it or, or heard, heard them, so I'm taking this podcast, uh, given a chance to, to read them out to everybody, and, and hopefully people will, uh, will dig it. So I also should mention that the idea of returning to the podcast world, um, I got from my good friend Jim Florentine, who started his own podcast. You can get it off of iTunes. Just do a search for Jim Florentine, and it'll lead you to it. He did a podcast with Rudy Sarzo of um, Blizzard of Oz, Quiet Riot fame, and it was about an hour of them just talking. And I listened to that about three or four times over. I loved it. And I, and it made me think maybe maybe podcasting is something that that is 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 cool to do again. And so kudos to Jim for uh, spurring me on, uh, inspiring me to do it again. So I'm going to be reading an article I wrote uh, back in 2009, again for Close Up Magazine, and it's it's called the article was called "The Mystery of Eric Clapton." And then in brackets, I wrote, or bring me the perm of Eric Clapton. So that's the official title of this article. And the article goes like this. When John Lennon facetiously uttered that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus, he unknowingly ushered in an era of brazen Christian sacrilege within popular music that culminated with Jesus is a cunt t-shirts by the band Cradle of Filth. While some have commented that the increasing irreverence has only contributed to desensitizing audiences at the cost of making music look and sound foolish, most blasphemes are actually quite creative, dare I say, entertaining, from Venom to Deicide and from Their Satanic Majesty's request to shout at the devil, you might not, you might not like the music, but it'll damn sure make you chortle. Desecrating titles like God Hates Us All, Bleed for the Devil, God Bless the Children of the Beast, Homage for Satan, or Number of the Beast, hardly chafe me. To laid-back, enlightened observers, it is shock value at its most base, with about as much significance and substance as a back-page sex ad or a Saturday morning cartoon. Sometimes, however, some people go too far. There's been one particular slogan that has persevered through decades, unencumbered, unchallenged, and to yours truly, the biggest blasphemy ever uttered in rock and roll. In the mid-60s London blues scene, guitarist Eric Clapton was gaining prominence as a member of John Mayall's Blues Breakers. But it was when an adoring fan spray-painted Clapton is God on the wall of the Islington Underground Station in London that Clapton was deified to a height that no one no matter how good, no matter how much better, has been able to topple. Rather than it just accepting this as irrefutable truth and blindly moving on like the rest of the music industry, I broached the topic with other fellow rockers and got a similar reaction. Most of us, upon reflection, 
question why the slogan has endured for so long, even in the face of a line of successors as illustrious as Hendrix, Van Halen, Page, Vi, Beck, Iommi, Hammett, Gibbons, Mustaine, Schenker, and Blackmore. It seems its staying power makes for a good argument that Clapton actually could be God. So based on that phenomenon, let's take the thesis that Clapton is indeed God. Even if this is slightly true, I am prepared to readjust my thinking, lifestyle, and moral compass. Firstly, I would promptly lock myself in my basement, paint a pentagram on the floor, and furnish a makeshift altar complete with candelabras, black drapes, and the omen soundtrack intended for livestock and virgin sacrifice. Yes, I would immediately become a Satanist. Not just any Satanist, but a vigorously active one, throwing spells and curses as often as people burp and fart. My background, steeped in an exhaustive consumption of Satanic music, endless hours of horror movie watching, a minor dalliance in Dungeons and & Dragons, and a thorough knowledge of the career of Glenn Danzig would... I'm sure, qualify me into Lucifer's flock. Ultimately, it would be a noble fight, battling God, which would actually mean battling Eric Clapton. Wouldn't you sign up to fight against the Almighty if God turned out to be an ex-heroin addict with a penchant for hair perms like he did when he was in Cream and appropriated songs by Bob Marley? You have to admit, he does look the part. His beard and full head of hair make him easily pass for Jesus of Nazareth, at least in community playhouse theater productions. If God truly did create us in his own image, and if we are to believe the Western world's depiction of Jesus in modern religious artwork, then Mr. Slowhand is the closest living being, at least in the music industry, to the image of that God, distinguished, serene, wise, even divine-looking. The idea that God exists, no matter in what religion, always utilizes a certain degree of mysticism and the paranormal to sidestep blunt, pragmatic questions concerning divinity. I can't hear anything extraordinary in Clapton's playing, but maybe I'm just not hearing it correctly. It's the same way our prayers seem to go unanswered. We're told, if we don't have God inside us, or aren't looking deep enough, or aren't able to see God working all around us, or any other hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo cobbled answer to cover up the fact that when we pray, we fail to get a direct answer, the same reason why letters to Santa Claus always went unanswered. I'm sure my inability to appreciate this supposed guitar genius just boils down to a generational gap. My ears have been blown away by years of sheer volume and over-the-top theatrics by everyone from Kiss and Guar to Motorhead and Slayer. What are the chances of understanding and appreciating the subtleties of 12-bar blues after you've just listened to Walk by Pantera or Highway to Hell by ACDC? How can you quietly sit still in your seat, taking in the nuances of Clapton's fretwork, when you've already been exposed to Jimi Hendrix lighting his guitar on fire, or Alice Cooper accidentally sacrificing chickens? It's almost like expecting kids to appreciate Donkey Kong or Asteroids after you've let them play Xbox or PlayStation 3. When they finally master sex in virtual reality, whenever that happens, Clapton fans will complain that no one appreciates the subtleties of Playboy magazine anymore and talk about the days of yore when we just streamed porn online. 
Every time I hear or see the slogan uttered or printed, without fail, I shudder like a warm breeze of flatulence hitting my face. Don't get me wrong, I think the guy is a very talented musician. After all, he did play with Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce and Cream and Dwayne Allman and Derek and the Dominoes, so we all know he can keep up with the best of them. But I have yet to hear what every guitar fanboy sermonizes about ad nauseum. At the risk of exposing my lack of music theory and music history, all I hear is some deftly played monotonous 12-bar blues. Blues spelled B-L-O-O-Z-E. But then again, what do I know? The fact that the guy was able to to bang Sheryl Crow, and supposedly well, which prompted her to write My Favorite Mistake, which was about him, is almost enough proof, to people as shallow as me at least, that he must have had a certain amount of divine in him. I can say that casually because I already know my credibility was shot four paragraphs ago when I admitted to playing Dungeons and Dragons. If Eric Clapton really is God, then no wonder there are tears in heaven.